Hi, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, your host for this episode and all of the rest of our Leadership Live shows. I'm a contributing columnist on CIO.com, where I write about business strategy and boardroom issues for technology leaders. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the support of CIO.com and our friends at the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live right now onto LinkedIn and Twitter, and we welcome all of our viewers to join the conversation with questions of your own. One of our editors is watching the stream and will pass along those questions for my guests today. Today, we are joined by Darren Ash, who is the Assistant CIO of the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Farm Production and Conservation Mission Area. Since 2016, Darren has been providing overall strategic direction and leadership for IT functions and services that are supporting federal agency stakeholders, farmers, producers, and ranchers across the United States. Last year, he was honored as a modernization leader with Federal Computer Week's Fed 100 Award. And that award was given for his skill in developing IT solutions that improve relationships between agencies and all of the constituents they serve. Darren has also been part of the leadership team that, with USDA's efforts, is modernizing the IT operations through the development and creation of five different centers of excellence. Also working with the General Services Administration and the USDA leaders, he has played an instrumental role in creating these centers of excellence back in 2018. Darren and his team also played a key role in developing and recently upgrading the Farmers.gov website, which we'll be talking about a bit more during this interview. That is a one-stop shop for farmers to access the vast array of information and services that USDA offers. Before he joined the USDA's executive team, Darren served as CIO of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission for nine years. And before that, he was the associate CIO of IT Investment Management for the U.S. Department of Transportation. All told, he has 30 years of federal government experience in IT and in the world of CIOs. So I imagine that there's hardly any questions we can throw at Darren that he won't have a good answer to. Welcome to the show, Darren. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Mary Fran. Um, let's float up above our current our current world about thirty thousand feet and talk to me about the industry disruption. And of course, these days we really mean the the pandemic and the post COVID reality that we're all living in. Um, when we talked about this earlier, one of the things you noted about it was technology has really had a chance here to ride into the rescue. Tell me what you've been doing in that, and what did you mean by that? Sure. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a definitely been an interesting last several months. You know, for myself personally, teleworking mm-hmm. full time for the last four months at home. Yeah. Um, but when I think about my organization, and it's roughly about 330 employees across the country, mm-hmm. technology and what we've what we're now living in and what we're dealing with has really leveled the playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, 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 an outstanding team of, of women and men in, in every place like Fort Collins to Kansas City to Salt Lake City. We're using these type, type, types of technologies to better collaborate, mm-hmm. communicate. And frankly, one of the things that, that was shared with me recently was, you know, typically when you're out in the field and you're part of the organization, 
you're you're sort of off to the side because the folks that are at headquarters are meeting in a room and and you're on the screen. Now we're all on the screen. So it really has leveled the playing field. It made it easier for all of us. And frankly, I, I think my perspective is we're communicating more frequently um, and better uh, because of technology. Well, um, I, I was thinking too when you said leveled the playing field, when you're talking about um, an important agency that's part of USDA, we really are talking about fields. <laughs> we are. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> and I think, and, and the other part of it that I think, and, and what I just described was more internally facing, but when I think externally facing, I think the, about the opportunities. And I think that's the best word I can use right now is the opportunity of how do we better serve the citizen? How do we better serve farmers through the use of te technology? We know there's a constituency out there that really embraces technology, that wants to conduct business digitally. They want to sign documents digitally. Mm -hmm. um, and how can we make it easier? And I think we've started to embrace that. And yeah. that's a really neat experience doing what we're doing to help them. Yeah. Well, I think, too, a lot of CIOs have talked about <clears throat> how in, in some ways they're grateful for the acceleration help that the COVID crisis has brought in that video conferencing and digital signatures and maybe even 3D printing, things that people thought would take maybe five years to adopt are suddenly like it's two or three weeks. Uh, tell me about some of the priorities that have become more important for your people out in the field. I think the priorities for our staff, again, it gets back to why are we there? We're there to serve our customers, in this case, farmers and ranchers. And maybe as context for the viewers, um, when I think about my customers internal to USDA, I've got about 20, 22, 23,000 employees across the country, typically wow. in rural America, spread out over almost 2,300 offices, uh, typically in small towns, communities across the country. Sure. And when I think about technology and the priorities, again, it gets back to how do we use technology to better deliver the services and the programs that we've been chartered to do by the Congress and mm -hmm. the administration and do it efficiently and effectively. Um, you know, you think, put yourself in the shoes of a farmer. Um, I've been affected by, by, by COVID. I've been affected by a disaster, a drought. Mm -hmm. um, and other types of things. I need assistance. I need help. Um, and, and we'll talk about other types of programs that we do. But how can I make, how can I enroll? How can I engage with you, USDA, more efficiently and effectively? How can you make it easier for me to engage with you? And that, frankly, is, is at the heart of when I think about the secretary and his mantra is around customer service, the customer experience. Mm -hmm. And technology is a wonderful enabler of that. Yeah. Well, I noticed too, when I went to farmers.gov today to, to check out your website, um, the, the very first screen is all about the COVID crisis and okay. click here if you need this kind of help and that kind of help. And it, it really is very simplified and intuitive. It, it has to be, I think you just hit on a key word. Besides intuitive, it has to be plain language and it has to be accessible. And by accessible, it means you think about traditional government programs you get arcane program policies and, 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 and explanations. Lots of I'm, I'm not a lawyer, mm -hmm. and many of our customers are not lawyers, and how can we help them better understand and navigate and really yeah. find what they need? Yeah. How have, as a CIO, has the COVID challenges and or the challenges around the pandemic, have they reshuffled your priorities at all? Have they brought some technology projects more to the top of the water or how has, how has it kind of changed your week to week priorities? 
I think there's a couple things that come to my mind. First is um, an acceleration of specific tools and capabilities that we were playing with, uh, particularly around secure file sharing uh, and e-signature. And put put in context, if 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 a farmer is unable to conduct business with us in person, how do we make it easier for them to securely, again, sign a document, sign a form? Or, or provide us with the information they need to enroll in a program. That accelerated quickly. Um, and I think the, the um, yeah, that's probably the big, the, uh, the other one that I think about is the speed to market. And, and with COVID, given mm-hmm. the circumstances and the impact it was having on our customers, quickly getting capabilities, new systems out there uh, to deliver the programs and, and frankly, to be able to support them uh, financially mm-hmm. uh, through assistance. Um, and there was a, a tremendous um, expectation and, and, and very real to be able to complete these activities very quickly. Okay. And there were people that were suffering, programs, um, people's farms, and we needed help. Yeah. The um, I know that as part of the CARES Act, the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Securities, that there is a piece that you are implementing or expected to implement. Correct. Tell us a little bit more about that particular piece. So um, just as I was referenced, you're correct that the CARES Act did ask uh, and direct USDA in a couple different ways um, to be able to assist farmers and ranchers that were affected by the pandemic. Right. Um, and you probably saw in the press about, you know, different stories about uh, crops that were being left in the field and obviously the prices, um, a variety of things that were affecting our, our, the farmers across the country and ranchers. Uh, and so one of the big pieces on it for that program was to implement what we now call the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, mm-hmm. um, upwards of almost $16 billion, up, up to $16 billion in assistance that can be provided to farmers. Uh, and we ultimately implemented that system um, in a little less than six weeks. Um, and we implemented it at, at on time uh, at the right after Memorial Day. And what's amazing about it now is as of this week, I think the number I've got is over $6 billion has been distributed uh, to almost, I think the number I had was almost 400, actually, or was it? Yeah, it was about six billion dollars. I think it was about um, five hundred, six hundred thousand applications. I don't have the exact no- the the dollar amount is pretty close, but and it's you- impressive that in just a short amount of time, how much aid has been provided. Yeah, and that was all put together and rolled out in about a six week time period. Correct. Back a year ago, without this crisis looming over our heads, how long would something like that usually take? Um. I mean, we have in, in the last two years, we've embraced and, and learned a lot about um, things like agile, agile development, safe in particular. Um, and so I think we've gotten better. I think about some of the programs we implemented over the last couple of years. Um, it's weeks, not months at this point. Yes. Um, and working with our partners in the agencies and the organizations about everything from minimally viable. How do we get a program out there and then start to c- continue to improve it? So. I think for us, we've embraced it and our partners have, have learned what, what works and, and how this will help them. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, to your point, it's, we're definitely moved away from the months down to the weeks. Yes. Well, we have our first question from our alert uh, oh. viewers out there. And 
I'm often a bit chagrined because not only do I get better questions from our audience sometimes than my own very questions, but it uh, also, it, it, it is just, uh, it, it, I end up with trouble getting to all of my questions because we'll get so many. So here's our first one, and it's a good one. What okay. challenges are there in the farming sector compared to other businesses? And I know that, and you have great experience across various other federal agencies, so you can speak with some authority about the challenges, for instance, in the nuclear regulatory area or in transportation. So what are some of the challenges when you compare farming to other businesses? That so, serve? okay. Yeah, thank you. And, and for full disclosure, I'm not a farmer. Um, <laughs> I, I did not grow um, uh, up in that type of, of community. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it, it is a, as I've come to appreciate in the time that I've been at USDA, it is a noble profession and an incredibly important profession, but also a very tough profession. Um, and I, I think about the types of things that we've been inf uh, uh, impacted by over the last couple of years. Things like, I mean, natural disasters, hurricanes, fires, for, uh, forest fires, other types of fires, particularly those that were uh, droughts. Um, there's so many things that are out of your control. How do you plan for that? Uh, yeah. And then you have other impacts in terms of trade. Um, so there's a lot of forces that work against you. Uh, mm -hmm. And ideally, there's a lot of years you hope everything goes right in terms of, of what you planted and, and what you and what you what you what, what grows and that you get the right prices for those commodities, those crops. Um, but it's like I said, it's incredibly important, but it, it's a tough it, it is a tough area, uh, tough area to work. Yeah, because essentially most, I would say most other businesses in other parts of the economy are not as closely tied to natural elements like Correct. the weather. But, what, but what's neat about what I've learned is about how agriculture has embraced technology mm -hmm. yes. to things, everything from analytics, the data, mm -hmm. uh, to improve yield, uh, to better understand a whole host of things about how to better operate and more efficiently operate their their businesses. Uh, and I think that is a really neat thing about big data and how the modern agricultural um, community has taken to that and use it to their advantage to be, like I said, be more efficient and more effective. Great. And I know we're going to get into that a little bit more because you, you've got some projects going in the data analytics area that are, are very interesting to explore. Let me ask you, though, to talk a little bit more about the mission that you, when you talk about mission, the area that you're serving, it's the farm production and conservation areas, and it's also shared services um, through USDA. So in, and I know this is such, it, this is so easy for you to understand being part of the government for 30 years, but it looks like from the outside, it looks like an incredibly interlocking series of dependencies. So I'd sketch that out for us. And on top of all of this, I think about two years ago, you actually brought three different agencies or, or IT groups together under what is now farm production and conservation. So lay that out for us, if you sure. will. Thank you. And I, I'm going to use a couple of words I've already started to use, which is around efficiency and effectiveness. Yeah. Um, you, when you think about your readers that, and, and, and viewers that know about government and with this one big monolithic organization mm -hmm. and, and nothing's done efficiently or effectively. I think that's furthest from the truth. Uh, what I'm very proud of and excited about that I've seen and experienced within USDA is an embrace of efficiencies around shared services, 
you don't need to have multiple organizations managing multiple data centers. Mm-hmm. Much more efficient. In fact, one example, when I think about shared services, I don't manage and run any more data centers. We've closed all of ours. That's all managed by the department, and right. we pay them. When I think about end-user services and, and deploying computers or phones or managing the network, I don't manage that either. Mm-hmm. I pay the department. So the department becomes more efficient. We gain cost efficiencies. We get savings, mm-hmm. and we all benefit from it. Um, and so what that allows me to do is to focus on the mission, in this case, the mission of the agencies that, that I'm charged to support. Right. Looks like you may have a follow-up question to that. I did. I did. I had it because I, when we were talking earlier, I asked you about cybersecurity because that's usually a top concern for CIOs. Yeah. And you were almost gleeful when you told me, you're like, well, uh, that's a shared service. I really, not that I don't worry about it, but I'm, you're not responsible for it. That's something that the, the CIO of the USDA is providing that service to your part of the agency. Yeah, we're, we're all responsible for cybersecurity. Again, we, have yet, <laughs> we can't forget about that. But when I think about security operations or SecOps, I pay the department for that. The department handles a lot of those responsibilities, no different for end user services and data centers. So, um, and then we get into commodity purchases and software and more efficient buys. Again, there is a strong push and emphasis by USDA. I can't speak for the other agencies and departments outside of USDA, but we can and, and are expected to become more efficient and effective in how we run and operate and spend the taxpayer dollars too. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Let me see. Let us, um, let's talk about another favorite CIO subject just in general, um, data and how it's being used. And when we talk about big data in the area of serving the mission of helping farmers, um, how is that, put that into some context for us. Sure. Um, That is a, a significant emphasis by the department now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and recently the, there was a, a new chief data officer, the first chief data officer, I think for us data was appointed. Mm-hmm. Our missionary has one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it is grounded in, I think about our programs and the large expanse of the programs we're responsible for in the amount of data we have, um, both in terms of the implementation of those programs, but we're also want to make sure those programs are operated efficiently. And so the organic, and I emphasize organic growth of the use of data analytics mm-hmm. to help monitor how the programs are operating, but also to help inform decisions yeah. uh, about program effectiveness. And what is nice to see and really cool to see is how our business leadership has embraced that mm-hmm. uh, and has really taken a run with it. Uh, yes, we're the enablers from a technology side and a data perspective using different tools and dashboards and capabilities, but it's, it, like I said, it is really cool to see how the business part of our organizations have taken this and are using it on a daily basis. Okay. Um, and that, and that is, that's, like I said, it's, it's neat to see. Yeah. Um, give us an example of that, like a before and after, um, the things that you're able to do now with this kind of an emphasis, especially around the efficiency part of it. Yeah. So, so one example I think of, and this has been in place for, for a, a spell, like a last year or two, is a better understanding, frankly, how things operate. How efficient are we? How, how long does it take to, uh, when, I, when I mentioned about uh, a farmer enrolling in a program, 
Um, you know, for example, uh, last week was the traditional deadline for farmers that participate with us to report on what they planted. It's crop reporting season. And that's, okay. the, that's the big time of the year for us, mid-July. Um, how long does it take for a, an employee out in the service center to, to take that information, to, to put it in the system, to check it, to work with the farmer? Mm-hmm. You want to have just no different than any type of, of organization, public or private. You want to have a better perspective of just how things are operating um, right. and are there ways that we can improve, um, improve from an efficiency standpoint. Mm-hmm. So that, there's a great use of that type of information on, on 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 those activities. Well, and you mentioned that you just recently in the area you oversee, your mission area, you have your first chief data officer. Correct. And what what are the marching orders for that CDO? So um, I think for him, um, I look at it as twofold. One is to support the broader USDA activities around open data uh, and the use of analytical capabilities and tools. Um, So that's part one, which is the support for the broader, for the full of USDA. The Mm -hmm. second part of it is how to to work with the individual agencies within our mission area uh, to come up with better ways and and better ways to to look at our information. I, I, it's a huge, huge, huge undertaking. Uh, I know he's up for it. Um, and, and a lot of it gets back to just the expansive data we've got and how do we tap into it? How do we tap into the value of it? And that's what I would, I think that's been the charge for our new CDO. Okay. And when we talk about an expanse of data, this is data going back probably quite a long while. I, I'm going to scare you that I mean, this is one part of the broader data set we've got. We have photographic imagery that we're digitizing stuff dating back to the 1930s. So if you think about that, you've got imagery of farmland from, let's say, Iowa dating back to the 1930s. And you, over time, as you digitize it, you can start to see just changes in the land. Sure. Um, so there's it, it, it's impressive to see what opportunities we have with just the data that at one point, because they were, I mean, I, I've, I've seen this my, my own eyes on, on old um, film reels, um, you know, negatives, and how we've digitized that to be able to take advantage of that information. That's amazing. Now, another big piece that we've talked about, the Farm Service Agency, that is, that is one of the pieces that comes under your control where you are now, and that that model uh, has always been customers coming into the offices. And <clears throat> obviously, there are some big problems with that right now. What are some of the, what are some of the relief or the, the solutions that technology, especially the work that you've done in the last year or so, is relieving for that? Because I, I know that sure. they still, you still have people in the offices, but what can we do from a technology standpoint that uh, handles that better now? Sure. Yeah, I, I've mentioned a couple of, of examples of using uh, secure file sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, electronic signature, but also make it easier for our, in this case, FSAs, farm service agencies, customers to be able to roll in programs. I mentioned about the coronavirus uh, program. Um, as long as the uh, customer has the authentication um, and has that capability, that token, uh, they can enroll in that program and, and submit it and sign it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one less thing for them to worry about that they can do that all from the, from their phone, from their home. Um, that's what we think about in terms of enabling, um, 
like I said, our customers to more easily and, uh, interact with our staff across the country. Okay. Well, let's talk about, I'm always uh, somewhat unduly fascinated with the way technology organizations are structured. Uh, because over the last, probably, if you were to check five years ago or three years ago, you'd probably have people essentially configured in different ways. You know, there used to be, it used to be the classic, what was it, design, run, produce, there areas that everybody always fell into and got around 300 people that you've got organized this way. Talk about how you have, uh, what sort of um, organizational structure you have in place that is delivering, you know, the, the best value to your constituents? Sure. And that, that's a great question. And, and, and you pointed to something that, that happened about two years ago, which was the merger of three IT organizations into one. Yes. Um, and to full disclosure, I've, I've not been involved in a merger and acquisition, so I've never lived through that until oh. two years ago. <laughs> I know some of the folks that may be listening have lived through that. Again, that's... You knew you were missing something on the list of yeah i look at my yeah when i look back and look at all the things i've accomplished through my career i i i can at least check off the box that i've been involved in a merger mm-hmm. um but it was done for good reason which was again the concept of shared services create a single it organization out of three mm-hmm. um, that can serve multiple agencies within our mission area efficiently and effectively uh, and so as we put that organization together uh, as we've learned about it, learned what works, what doesn't work. Um, I, I don't think there's any magic to what we've done. We've got a traditional security organization, mm-hmm. an organization that focuses, a group that focuses on budget and acquisition activities um, uh, around strate- uh, architecture. Um, but the biggest component and, and um, the two biggest components, one, actually our biggest component is around software de- uh, development and operations. And another component dealing with customer needs. Um, but the biggest one, again, is around that operation development and operations activities. Mm-hmm. That's where the bulk of the employees are, both in terms of physical location, but also just, again, also spread out. Um, but um, again, no, no secret sauce. What we've learned, what we've had to, to change and think about and do differently is when we merge three organizations together, we had three different ways of developing software. Three different ways of of managing it. Three different, you know, multiple different multiple tools, and so the effort that we've undertaken over the last two and and it's going to continue is how do we ultimately come up with one organization, mm-hmm. um, a better way to do it as opposed to this agency's way of doing this or this again dealing with the legacy, mm-hmm. and, and that's been the emphasis of how, you know up you know back in April we finally agreed upon a single software development lifecycle approach and methodology. Okay, so well, we came up with, and and came up with that that approach, but that takes time. Well, and that's a lot more. That might sound like just one of those checkbox areas, like oh, that was easy. We decided, but I'll bet it wasn't. I'll bet it's it- not because again, you've got if again, no different than any type of merger. Yeah, it's not a criticism of the people. It's a reality that you're dealing with three different cultures, mm-hmm. three different ways of of doing it, and also three different sets of customers. Yep. Um, and how do you manage that change and manage that change over time too, mm-hmm. um, to that target? Well, I've heard so many um, 
Oh, industry pundits and strategists talk about how culture will eat strategy for lunch and that and that changing company cultures. If you talk to someone about, say, a big ERP moving into the cloud or, you know, the rollout of Microsoft Teams or something across X number of agencies, it is all it's it's all change management. And so that was probably, that's probably why everyone looks for merger and acquisition experience when they examine a CIO. They're like, how much change management have you had to deal with? I'll bet in with all your experience across federal agencies that you've become something of a specialist in that over the years. What are some of the things you've learned? Um, In general about being a CIO, is that what you're asking? Just to... I was really asking more about change, change management. Change. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I just want to make sure I I understood your question. I think a lot of it is, is around communication Mm -hmm. um, and listening and active listening, tape and tape and point, just verify and clarify, just make sure I heard your question correctly. Yeah. Um, But recognizing that these are people um, that have put their careers um, out there uh, to serve the country uh, and to, to do a good job. And, and for the mission, uh, and they're very proud of their work, you need to listen to them. You need to acknowledge that they, they are doing and can, will continue to do great work, but there may be some changes. Mm-hmm. How do you support them? And I think a lot of it gets back to, to empathy, communication, mm-hmm. listening, um, and, and again, creating that vision is and, and helping people understand there's, there's changes and there's reasons for changes. Um, and, and being responsive to their questions. I think those are the types of things that I would think about. Well, and I, I've noticed that too, in a lot of the CIOs that I've interviewed recently on this show, we've talked a whole lot more about softer skills and empathy and listening <clears throat> than I ever remember being part of the yeah. conversations before. You know, we, we've, I'm, and I'm, I'm glad because it moves us more into kind of human areas about how you manage change um, because IT leaders have been doing that for decades, I think, with trying to roll out technology. And I think that the fact that we see it as so vital now to business outcomes, there's not a big argument about it anymore. It's, it's right. more, how do you get people to change? Right. It's. I, I think about the things that that have come to the forefront around human-centered design, the customer experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there's right ways to do things, and I think we we as a, a community have have learned and adapted to to doing these things right. Yeah. Well, and related to that, we've got another question from our alert viewers. Um, related to that, are farmers on board with sharing data? Do you see with sharing data with you? And do you see areas for improvement where you would like to get more data or better data from okay. from your from your mission clients, essentially? Okay. So thank you. I'm, I'm going to answer that in two parts. One is uh, when I think about farm service agency, mm-hmm. um, the sharing of information, for example, crop information is an expectation, a requirement to participate in FSA programs. So there's a variety of requirements that are established um, for them to be able to provide that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a given. The other one, actually, the, the neat thing, uh, and, and this is something I've learned over the last two years, is on the conservation side. So the Natural Resources Conservation Service is a voluntary program. This is not something that we mandate that you do conservation. For example, soil erosion. Mm-hmm. These are farmers and, 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 and ranchers, landowners that come to us and say, hey, um, we have an interest in improving, for example, soil erosion. Can you help me? 
Um, and so that is an area that we, you know, in this case, we collect a lot of information, but we're there to help them at their request. Okay. Um, and so that it, it, there's two, like I said, there's different business models about how we operate, mm-hmm. uh, and rightfully so. Um, some, again, requires information. Others, it's, it's voluntary. Mm-hmm. And that's a neat way to operate. Well, I can remember when this many years ago, when government agencies started to get much more into open data sharing, you know, the ability to tap into and use data. Are there, are there, is there anything you have planned that's going to make more of that kind of data available to your end user customers, the farmers that maybe they couldn't have accessed a few years ago? So we do have a wealth of information from an open data perspective, and that's going to continue to grow. The one point of sensitivity is there are uh, legal statutory requirements about what we can or cannot publish. For example, uh, Mary Fran, if you had a farm um, in in central Massachusetts uh, and you provided us that information, those specific details cannot be released. Again, those are specific to you. Uh, but we can make genericize it. We can make it more generic. We can aggregate it. So we can provide a lot of different information. And frankly, one of the bigger groups within USDA that does publish a tremendous amount of data mm-hmm. is the is is our agricultural statistics organization, NAS. Not part of our mission area, but that the, yeah. I mean, heck, every couple of years they do an ag census. They collect a lot of information about farming across um, US uh, across the country. Uh, mm-hmm. And they have various ways to both collect it, but also to publish it. So a lot of good information for the public. Okay. Well, and, and speaking of that, we've talked about um, one great example of mission delivering on your mission being farmers.gov. And I wanted you to talk a little bit more since that is so prominent in how farmers, ranchers, producers are able to access and get through to uh, your agencies um, and very authenticated and it's been an upgraded website. And one of the things you said about it, it's by farmers and for farmers. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the upgrades to it to kind of give us a before and after picture of the things that you've done, because I know that's a centerpiece that you're very proud of. Sure. Thank you. And I want to differentiate farmers.gov from a traditional you know, USDA website or any, any agency website. Again, you're going to have information about programs, about the organization, um, Budget. I mean, there's a lot of information you're going to get from an agency organizational website. The intent for farmers from the beginning was, what is it you need as a farmer? What is it you need to interact with us? What would you like to know? What would you like to learn? And so the way we designed it was, and we've grown, continue to grow it organically based on feedback Mm -hmm. um, and and new programs that have uh, that we've implemented. Um, It's two sides. One is the public facing website, as you describe, which mm-hmm. has everything from uh, plain language, here's what our programs are, um, to things like, um, hey, you, you're interested in a loan. Let's help you guide you to what loan, op- loan programs are available based on the situation, the amounts, and so forth. So think about TurboTax. It helped guide you to the right programs, whether it's a loan program or disaster program. And so those are some of the first things that we did. We've continued to add that based on, on, on new needs, whether it's on coronavirus, uh, programs like H2A, the visa program for foreign workers, um, making it easier for our customers to better understand. I'll pick on H2A again. It, 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 
the foreign foreign worker program, um, helping a farmer understand what's the timeline. Hey, I need I need workers. I need I need folks um, in three months. What do I do? Do I have enough time to go through the process to apply? Yeah. What's the timeline? What are the costs? Again, trying to make it as easy as possible for them to navigate and understand. So that's the public side. The yeah. authenticated side is enabling our customers to check their loan balance, um, to apply for a program, um, adding new features and capabilities and ones that we just recently released, mm -hmm. helping them uh, interact with us on conservation programs. So oh. it was intended and it will continue to grow as a means to make our programs navigatable and understandable, mm -hmm. um, but also enable our customers to do self-service as well. Okay, excellent. We have another question from okay. our, and this one, I'll really be relying on your expertise here. How are you supporting precision agriculture? Good question. Um, it is a very good question, and it's a ripe topic given that, and I mentioned that earlier about how um, our farming community, our customers have embraced precision agriculture. I mentioned about big data, mm -hmm. how they use modern technology on, on their equipment, whether it's the combine or the planters or whatever they're using to collect information. That's a wealth of information for them to use as part of their managing their, their business, their farm. But it's also good information for them to share with us um, to as part of their uh, information that they provide to us. And so part of the precision ag support is a recognizing that's an important part of, of how our customers do business. Um, mm -hmm. And for us um, now is finding the best ways to collect that and pull and, 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 and get that information from the farmer as easily as, as possible. Okay. Um, Great. The, um, IT spending, another, I'm always interested in IT organizations, how big they are, what kind of budget they have. I know that the USDA's overall budget is like $23 billion. And you can look up all of this stuff online, of course. Can you put that into context for us for the, the budgeting, especially since you have shared services rolled into that? Right. Um, I will, I'll toss that one over the fence to you. And okay. That's that. Thank you. Yeah. We, um, if I think about 19 F fiscal year 19, yes. um, it was a little under $800 million. Okay. Uh, in it spend. Okay. Uh, in 20, it's going to be a little North of that. Um, final okay. numbers obviously will play out obviously until we get to the end of FY 20. Right. Um, but for context, again, that, that encompasses, uh, a large federal staff and a large contractor staff, but we've also got about, I think roughly, let's call it 600 applications we have to maintain. Yeah. Um, so that's on the mission side, but we about, I'm going to call it about a third of our spend goes to the department to pay for hosting and user services, uh, network and so forth, our contributions to the overall uh, activities of the department. Yes. Um, those types of services. So, you know, substantial and that's a substantial portfolio. But when I look at the expanse of what we're charged to support mm -hmm. from an IT perspective, it is a very large and very complex portfolio. Yes. Oh, I'll bet. And it sounds like you're optimistic that the IT spend in the budget will grow by some amount in 2020. Well, no, when I say FY20, that's the current the year we're in right now. Um, sorry. Just <laughs> Think about yeah, 20. No. 
I'm talking, I'm talking what we've actually spent um, as opposed to, um, and this is probably not the form to get into, um, you know, obviously the president's budget and, and appropriations, but, you know, ultimately we're, uh, our budget and our spend is determined um, obviously through the president's budget and through the appropriation process by the Congress. Um, but we know that through programs like just the, uh, the, the farm bill that we had that was passed in 20, at the end of 2018, um, mm-hmm. We're charged by the Congress and the president to implement a, a number of important programs, some from scratch and some that we have to uh, programs that we have to modify systems we have to modify. So, okay. um, yeah. Good answer. I think, okay. <laughs> I think we stayed in our lane on that one, which is, which is best for everybody. Now I have, uh, we have a very nice question from our, our listeners again. Uh, starting out, excuse my ignorance about this sector. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. Are farmers providing the data electronically or manually in real time for each season? And the, it goes on to say, I see that Internet of Things, IoT, yeah. can provide data so much quicker and more gran- in a more granular fashion. So is that on the horizon? The so, yeah, so, so it, 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 I know you always love the answer. It depends. It depends on the farmer. Um, there are farmers that will bring their information in manually, uh, mm-hmm. and that'll require an employee to, to do the key entry into the, into the, let's call it the application of the system. Okay. Uh, there are others that will submit it electronically. I gave an example of the coronavirus program where we enable a, a customer to go in, log in on their own. Uh, and enter the data directly. Um, so again, it, like it, it depends, um, mm-hmm. but I think there is truly an embrace and expectation that will continue to grow and enable our customers to be able to do this seamlessly without having, may, just do the electronic um, submission of information. Right. Well, and you don't have, I, I think it's actually um, smart in terms of a customer relationship approach that you don't have a one way to do this, like our way or the highway. Right. Um, I think about it. It's like a dual channel type of multi-channel type of approach to doing business. All right, good. Now let's talk a little bit about some of the the technology initiatives and the or the mission initiatives, I should call them for you, that you have in the next year or two. Um, I know that when we talked earlier, you mentioned that there's a lot of use of robotic process automation, RPA, going on right now, um, and one that supports loan processing, for instance, and some that supports HR. Um, And if there's any area that you are probably most keenly watching these days, it's what happens with robotics. So talk a little bit about that. What are you leveraging? What are you learning from it? So I think the first observation is how much USDA as a department has embraced the use of robotics. but also ensuring that there's appropriate structure and governance around this, as opposed to a, a quote unquote, a wild west type of approach that these things are done thoughtfully and correctly uh, <clears throat> using appropriate methodologies and, and principles and software. Um, but the guiding principle, when I think within our missionary and, and the work that's been accomplished to date and what's on the horizon is driving out some of that low value time consuming work, uh, for our employees, whether it's in H, as you said, HR processing or some of the loan application processing and filling out information and using robotics to be able to support that so that our loan officers, as opposed to doing data entry, can spend more time on the high value work and interacting and supporting our customers. 
where I see further growth, I see definitely further growth within the HR space, human resource space, I'd say the financial space. Um, but ideally, and it'll be neat to see this over the coming years, is how much of this starts to penetrate into the program side of our operations. I mentioned about loans. That is a part of our farm service organization's uh, core business. But I suspect and would expect that robotics would be, can be applied and would be applied in other areas. Um, the way I look at robotics today and what we've done, we've learned a lot. Um, and, and that's a great thing. And how can we take that, leverage that learning to, and apply it to other programs? Yeah. The, well, and of course, you, you can't start talking about RPA without getting into machine learning and AI. Yeah. And I know that there are some major milestones that you're, you've arri- you're arriving at with data analytics. And that one of those is pilot, a pilot project you have underway that is starting to uh, enjoy the benefits of the public cloud. So tell us what you can about what you're doing there and what your hopes are for that. So, so the, the cloud and the public cloud, and again, you think about in government, our emphasis has been on the use of, it's called the GovCloud type instances. I'm sure, because it's, it's more secure. Correct. Mm-hmm. And there's a variety of requirements. We won't get into the the the, art, the, the, the things about that and, and all the things from particularly from security. They're all necessary. They're absolutely vital to do to protect our systems and protect our data. But the question, the ultimate question is, can we do this more efficiently and effectively and maintain security and do this in the public cloud? And so we've initiated, we're actually in the midst of a pilot right now uh, yeah. to try out try this out with appropriate technologies to support this. Mm-hmm. We just hit a major milestone of starting to deploy some of our applications into the cloud, mm-hmm. public cloud. Um, but the intent is by the end of August, <clears throat> let's call it a little over a month and a half from now, early September, we're going to be able to look back again. It's a pilot. And the intent of the pilot is to learn from it and assess before we make a large investment. Okay. And we need to be able to answer a large number of questions. First and foremost, can we do this securely and properly, mm-hmm. uh, both from our perspective, but obviously the department's perspective, meet all the different mandates? Um, are we comfortable with latency? Are we comfortable with all the other measures that we need to pay attention to? So at the bottom line, if I'm a farm, if I'm an employee out in, in Kansas, am I going to notice the difference? Am I going to notice the difference that it's in the public cloud versus at the data center? And the answer, it, and if we've answered all those questions and all in affirmative, then I think we've got a winning solution. But we need to be able to demonstrate, have the data, and be able to go back and get some decisions from leadership. But again, you already hit it, Mary Friend. It's got to be secure. It's got to be right. Well, yeah. And if if you have people notice anything, you want them to notice how much faster and better it's working. <laughs> Correct. And if 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 latency is down, then that's a key marker. To say maybe we need to pull back. But again, our objective was to do this as a pilot and a true pilot, which is at the end, we're going to pull everything back. Again, we need to see how it went. Well, and I think about the demands that have been on IT probably since time immemorial, where everything is supposed to be faster, better, and cheaper, right? Now, is this, will this eventually be um, a, a money efficiency? Will this be a budget efficiency move for the government? Part of what our, our, projection was 20% reduction in cost. That is worth experimenting over, isn't it? It is worth experimenting. And we're doing this in partnership with the department. But again, we need we have to prove this out. Yeah. And and if and if those savings really will I mean we really if we really will achieve those, then that's great. But again the data's got to show up. Okay. 
Another question from our viewers. Do you provide broadband connectivity to farmers? Sounds like if you do we some. do not. <laughs> so, okay. So uh, our missionary does not. Okay. Uh, there is another, there, there is though another part of USDA. It's called rural development Excellent. that has a responsibility to work on the rural broadband issue. All right. So not my area of expertise, but there's another part of USDA that does focus on that. Well, they're good. That's good to, uh, that's good to hear. I figured you would know. <laughs> I know you're only, you're, you're a part of the mission of the overall USDA, but Correct. you are pretty much an expert on all of the USDA questions that we've been getting here. Um, let me see. Are there, I, we, we mentioned robotics, certainly. And are there any particular technology trends that as a CIO tasked with the kind of work you have that you are paying more attention to right now because you feel like this may not be a big deal right now, but three to five years from now, we're going to really need to know a lot about this area. I'm just always curious what, on the farther horizon, what are the things that interest you as a CIO? So for me, we've already hit on one of those is around robotics, machine learning, um, again, I'm, I'm thinking about my organization, what we're charged to do. Um, I think technology-wise, I'm definitely interested in artificial intelligence. Um, blockchain is of interest, um, but it's probably more relevant to some of the other missionaries within USDA. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think about, are there better ways for us to more efficiently deliver mi- mission systems? Yeah, uh, It may be more of the foundational type of activities. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the areas that I, I, I'm thinking about and, and I'm, I'm looking at. Okay. And, um, we've, you know, we've mentioned the efficiency word many times and in many different approaches here, thinking about efficiency. Um, are you looking for, is it time savings, money savings, less people aggravation? What, what is an ideal efficiency when, when you look at that as a CIO? I just want to, so I, I, I think of speed to market. I think of, of, of lower cost to deliver mm-hmm. better quality um, and less of a, I think, um, uh, l- less of a, a, of a headache um, and easier for our, our, our employees, our customers, whoever's end user, make it easier for them to use. Um, okay. That's what I think about. Good, good. I And I actually, I applaud that approach to it rather than, because a lot of if you're talking with chief financial officers yeah. and you hear the word efficiency, it's usually just money savings. It, it, it's you have to take the, you have to look at the whole, yeah. um, and 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 I mean that's the way I look at it. It it, it is the the whole of uh, the whole cloth of what we do. Um, and again, if we just deliver technology for technology's sake, we've missed it. Yeah. Um, we're not just doing it for technology. Mm-hmm. Tell me about um, approaches and strategies around innovation are always an area. I think of three big topics that most CIOs think a lot about, and they are business strategy or mission strategy and uh, innovation and leadership. And it's just, and that fits so well, and it's actually fit with the role for probably the last 20 years. But innovation has gotten, you mentioned the Wild West a little earlier. There is so much stuff going on there. And you mentioned when we talked earlier that innovation at the edge is something that you pay more attention to. Uh, yeah. And, and I think the reason I use that phrase, I didn't come up with that. So um, <laughs> we're not-, not, not my phrase, but it, 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 it's, it's <clears throat> I think, reflective of, of innovation can happen anywhere. 
not just within the IT organization. It could be our business partners. It could be that frontline employee that says, wow, this is, there's got to be a better way to do this. Uh, it could come from our states. And so you know, my interest in innovation is, A, recognizing innovation can come from anywhere in the organization. Okay. How do you bring it into the sunlight? How do you embrace it? How do you support it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, uh, folks get worried because you think about PII, personal identifiable information, security, mm-hmm. um, chain of command. There's a variety of things that cause people to say, yeah, it's a great idea, but I'm not willing to try it or I'm not willing to take that risk. We have to get help people understand it's okay. Say something. Um, we may not always have the best ideas uh, within my organization. Um but we have to be open to others' uh, ideas as well. Again, yeah. the whole of innovation is everywhere, and let's embrace it and let's support it. Let's find ways to to do something with it. And do you have any particular programs within the IT organization itself? Some CIOs do hackathons. Others have you know more external send us your idea sort of thing. How do you how do you actually uh, deliver on that? So I, I think. Um, uh, some of it is organic. Some of it is coming directly from our programs. But I think a lot of that I get is, is direct from the field uh, and, and working its way up either direct uh, annually. I, it won't happen this year in person, but be able to meet with field staff um, and going out to the county offices. I mean, that's something that, that is actively encouraged is go out and talk to folks. Go to listen. Mm-hmm. And I think those are th- those are definitely ways for us just to hear directly from the folks that um, really are the, the, the soul of our organization and the front line yeah. and, and can't, you know, like I said, they've got great ideas. Let's hear from them. Well, that's, and that's very similar when you're talking to CIOs in corporate enterprises, the idea of getting IT people out with the business units is always, so essentially for you, it's out with the mission units. Right. You had mentioned about the, 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 the centers of excellence. The voice of the customer, per se, was one of those centers. And again, getting out and hearing from our employees and our customers about what matters to them, mm-hmm. what's important to them. Okay. Another question from our alert listeners here is with AI and machine learning technologies, are there ways that you're using them to evaluate and monitor program effectiveness or to modify programs that need to be more cost-effective? Can you think of any example? Um, I can't think of any specific example. When we think about program effectiveness and monitoring, that is done through uh, traditional analytical tools as opposed to the moving in. We have not yet moved into the machine learning, artificial intelligence space, but um, I could I see that in the horizon? Yes. Yeah. You're, you're anticipating my questions now. Yeah. I was <laughs> All right. We can write down when that will be happening. Well, and let's, let's wrap up in the last few minutes here and talk about some of those leadership lessons that you've learned. You've worked in a half a dozen different federal agencies, that 30 years of experience across the federal government, a lot has changed in the way the feds just in general are approaching technology. And what are some of the kind of sustaining lessons that have helped you continue to, to be a successful CIO in the federal space? Thank you. Um, yeah, now you're getting me to think about just, again, my career and, and what I've seen and, and, and what's been important is, and I think the thing that I first thing is, is dedication to mission. 
and why we're doing this. Again, we're in the technology field, but we're not doing technology for technology's sake. We're doing this to deliver services for our customers, our citizens, mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of good reasons, um, because they've been affected by, again, hurricanes or wildfires or uh, drought or something. Mm-hmm. How do we help them? These are real people, real businesses. Yeah. Um, and so technology is an enabler and a sustainer, but it's important to be as a partner. Again, IT should not be leading this. IT needs to be a full partner and and uh, an enabler. Uh, and how we engage with the business is essential. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing from a CIO perspective is, again, it's not just about the technology. We talked about the softer side, yeah. uh, about empathy. Uh, if we're just out there for ourselves and for IT, mm-hmm. that's not the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all in this together because what we have found in any IT organization um, it cannot just be one person that does everything or leads. A, it, it really is the collective village um, to successfully deliver programs and work in partnerships. So that softer side of how an organization works together, mm-hmm. collaborates, um, and really works as one. I think that is essential. Yeah. Um, and so my, I guess really my parting thought would be, uh, IT is important. No, no doubt about it. The technology skills are essential to what we do, mm-hmm. but don't ever forget about the softer side um, and and the people side of it, because that's the other half of the equation. Yeah, and it's it's probably might even be two thirds of the equation. Oh, when you- yeah, probably more so. Yes about the behavior changes that you have to get to have people to actually change what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Correct. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed learning all about your mission area and getting a sense of what's happening out, quite literally out in the farmlands and with ranchers and all the other constituents that you're serving. And I think at some point I had asked you, how many people is that? And your guesstimate of your number of customers was something in the millions. I think uh, we got. I think there's about two million farmers across the country. Not all of them participate with us, but that's a that's a nice population of people. And, it, and well, and I hope they tune in to this and they hear you talking and they think I need to go to farmers.gov and get my request in about something or another. Thanks so much for joining me today. It was thank you. Thank you, Darren. And if you joined us late, uh, you can watch the full episode. I'm here talking with Darren Ash, who is the assistant CIO with the U.S. Department of Agriculture in one of the very specific areas, Farm Production and Conservation Mission Area. And if you have joined us late, don't despair. We post this later on today on CIO.com. You can also find us on uh, IDG's YouTube channel, which is called IDG Tech Talk. And I encourage you to take a moment to sign up and subscribe for that. And if you uh, like to listen to podcasts rather than watching uh, yet another Zoom production, we also post our CIO Leadership Live shows are on all of the popular podcast players. So you can find us there as well. And I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Darren Ash from the U.S. Department of Agriculture and that you'll join us for the next episode of CIO Leadership Live, which will be on Wednesday, August 5th. And I'll be joined again at 12 noon Eastern. And I'll be joined by Thomas McKee, who is the CIO at Kenimental and a big manufacturer based in Pennsylvania. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Stay safe and well out there, and we'll see you here on CIO Leadership Live next time. Thanks.
This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.